Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right, another week and very tough news to take in as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 63. At the top of this week's show, we will talk about the topic of the day, and that's the loss of former Eagles head coach Buddy Ryan, which was announced earlier this morning. Buddy was a true innovator and obviously a very beloved figure here in Philadelphia. And to get things going in Chalk Talk, I chat with one of Buddy's former players and linebacker Seth Joyner now. I talked with Seth last week before today's news broke, but he talked about playing the linebacker position and getting accustomed to playing in Buddy's defense. Seth is one of the top linebackers, not just in Eagles history, but in NFL history. So getting to learn a bit more about the position from him was just awesome. And that continued in two technique where Seth broke down from start to finish the art of a proper tackle, something that can be a bit of a lost art in today's game at every level. Then we wrap it up like we do every week with Saturday scouting, but this week with a slightly different spin because this week I want to really dig into one of the basics of Buddy Ryan's 4-6 front that he brought here to Philadelphia and what I've seen from it in my tape study going back to those teams in the late 80s and early 90s. We've got a ton to get into, so let's not waste any time. I caught up with former Eagles linebacker Seth Joyner to talk about the linebacker position in the NFL. Let's get to that interview right now in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Pleased to be joined this week by an Eagles legend, number 59, Seth Joyner. Seth, I appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us here on the Eagle Line the Sky podcast to talk about linebacker play here in the NFL. Oh, my pleasure, man. Absolutely. So the first thing i got to ask you is, and I like asking this question to our guests just to uh, really kind of get discussion going, is what's one part of linebacker play that fans don't really think about? Everyone thinks, oh, you know, run and hit, and a lot of the buzzwords that get thrown around. What's one aspect that's, you know, that's tough about the position that fans don't necessarily think about when watching the game on Sundays? Well, I think that when you look at the linebacker position, um, it's important for fans to realize that, to me, and I might be biased in my opinion, but I think the linebacker position is the most difficult position to play because you're a hybrid. You know, you're part of the front. You know, you're part defensive lineman. You're part secondary. Um, the defensive line, they basically control the line of scrimmage in the run in the pass game. The secondary, their primary, their primary job is to defend the, the, the pass and the secondary on the run. But the linebackers are primary in, in, all, in, in both of those phases. We have to be an integral part of the run game, and we have to be an integral part of the secondary game or the passing game. So it's really difficult because, you know, you're that hybrid. You're half defensive lineman. You're half secondary player. Um, and you've got to be an integral part um, uh, in both phases. You know, you're not you're not um, um, specifically tuned in to one part or the other. You're intrinsically tied to both both phases of the game, both the run and the pass. Yeah, and you bring up a good point, and that's why I've always kind of thought, you know, everyone, obviously, look, you're looking for that physicality. You're looking for that competitive toughness, which is obviously a huge part of the linebacker position, but it's also 
such a huge mental game because of everything you're you're put immediately in a run pass conflict on every single play you've got to be able to key and diagnose those first couple steps and be able to realize hey this is a run here's my position in the run fit or it's a pass where's my landmark who do I have in man coverage uh, whatever your responsibilities are for that play is that something that you think a player can improve on once they get to the league or do you think that a guy's got instincts and that's that and it's kind of tough to to massage that and improve on it once he arrives in the NFL well, I think instincts are an important part of playing the position. Um, but I would say the most important part is learning and understanding the defense and what your responsibilities are. Um, one of the things that prevents players from playing full speed and using their full athletic ability um, is a doubt in their mind as to what their responsibilities are. Um, and if I took you through the process, and hopefully we, we, we can get to it with the, with the thought process, with the mental process is, for a linebacker, pre-snap, you'd really be amazed. Um, the, the first piece of it, you know, for the linebacker, like I said, is really knowing and understanding your responsibility inside out. And it's difficult, you know, for a lot of uh, for a lot of linebackers today because you have so much coaching turnover. You know, new head coaches come and go, new coordinators come and go, new systems are implemented. Teams move from a thirty front to a forty front with one coach. To a, to a 40 front, to a 30 front with a different coach. There's different terminology that you have to learn. Um, there's so much that goes into it, and it's, it's, it's difficult for players today, you know, to be in a system long enough where they fully understand what's going on and, 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 and the philosophy and how that coach is trying to attack that defense that they're game planning from week to week. So the first part is to really understand your defense and understand what you're supposed to do, how you're supposed to do it, and what your responsibilities are. I mean, I tell people all the time, um, in playing in Buddy Ryan's system, it took me two years to really understand, wholly understand, how that, what that defense was all about, and not only what my responsibilities were, but what everyone else's responsibilities are. Because you can only be efficient when you understand the big picture. A lot of guys learn positionally what they're supposed to do. But the good players, the great players, they learn, they understand the entire scheme. They understand what, what all 11 players are doing on a, on a given play. Um, the other thing for linebackers, you know, and I don't think that this is coached much anymore, um, is that quarterbacks and running backs can lie to you from a key standpoint. Now, when I say key, you know, when I line up or when a linebacker lines up, you know, what is he looking at? What is the key that tells him whether it's run or pass? And in today's game, you see a lot of linebackers looking in the backfield. They look at the quarterback, they look at the running back, and they try to get their keys off of those two players as to whether it's run or pass. Now, you see a lot of, a lot of quarterbacks, you know, if they want to run the ball to the right side, you see a lot of quarterbacks reverse out to the left to run the ball to the right. Now, why is that? Because the offensive coordinators know that linebackers that don't key properly are looking at the quarterback, and if the quarterback steps left, what are the linebackers going to do? They're going to react and step right in a mirror image of what the quarterback is doing. Now, when you false step, you create angles for the blocking scheme of the play going the other direction. You know, and, and, and that's problematic for linebackers. Now, there's one 
one guy that you can key or one position that you can key as a linebacker that can never lie to you, and that's the offensive lineman. So if I'm lined up off the ball as a linebacker, I'm keying that uncovered lineman because if that lineman pass sets, I know this pass right now. And if, and if I keep pass right now and we're in zone, that allows me to get depth and get into my zone drop efficiently, to get enough depth to take away the deep route, but enough depth to see what's going on in front of me to break up on the short route. That's the way you play zone defense. If we're in man-to-man coverage, it allows me right now to go to my coverage. I'm not waiting for a running back to come out of the backfield. I'm not waiting for a tight end, you know, to make a move. I can go to my technique right away because that offensive lineman has shown me that it's passed right now. Now, if it's run, my reaction time is cut down a second to a full second and a half. If I read him blocking down, if I read him firing out, I can come up and take him on. If he's blocking down, my vision can go backside right now to see if I'm getting a puller. I can read slow and be a prominent player in the run game. But when you're looking in the backfield, you put yourself at such a disadvantage, and I see it, you know, throughout the NFL now that players play that way. They look in the backfield and they try to react off of what the quarterback and the running back is doing instead of getting their key, their run-pass key, off of the action of the, of the offensive lineman who can never lie to you. They can't act like they're going to pass and then run. They can't act like they're going to run and then pass that because of the rush. They have to honor that. And they're always true to it. Now, the one play that's the key breaker is the draw play because they're going to show pass and then they're going to come out. And you can always react to that because it's a slow form and play. But if they read the offensive lineman in my position, I think linebackers can play so much more efficiently than if they try to get their pass run key um, out the backfield. And what's amazing about all that is that everything you just mentioned that's, that's everything in a vacuum on every single play. That's not even taken into account from a game plan perspective. All right, down in distance, what does this team like to do in the run? What does this team like to do in the pass? Where are we on the field? There's all these other different situations from a game plan perspective that have to get factored in. And how much do you kind of weigh that? You know, if, you, if it's uh, you know, third and medium down in the red zone against New Orleans Saints, you're going to be playing that differently than if it's third and medium, uh, we'll say, in the middle of the field against the Washington Redskins just because of different coaching tendencies and what quarterbacks like to do during the, the, the course of the game. How much do you have to weigh that from a, a week-to-week standpoint from playing the linebacker spot? Well, I think what I explained to you about, about a linebacker's key um, that's something that you practice and that's something that you have to carry into the game to be efficient on game day. Now what you're talking about game plan wise, that's a whole nother phase. That's your, your study phase throughout the week. You know, are you taking the analytics, you know, and are you studying the analytics? Have you created your own analytics and your own tendencies about what teams like to do, you know, um, in the minus territory, you know, in the field territory, Uh, On the plus side, in the red zone, um, have you broken down the film formation by formation, runs and passes? And have you broken out what those tendencies are, what teams like to do? Um, You know, football is a a very complex. It's complex but simple. It's complex from the standpoint of um, you have to study enough. you got to study your game plan. you got to study the tendencies. And you got to study game film to see 
um, where you can find little small um, advantages for you as a player. Every team has tendencies. Every quarterback has a favorite um, receiver. Uh, they've got favorite running plays. They've got favorite plays that they will go to in situations uh, where they need a first down. Um, and, and it's up to you as a player to put in the time to understand what those are and study them and put those put them in your memory bank, bank from week to week so that you give yourself an advantage because offensively, they know where they're going. They know what their play is. And most of the time, um, most of the time, you're talking about players that are probably a little faster than you are. Um, they have the advantage of being able to know where they're going, so they're playing maybe a hair faster because you've got to read and react. You know, so if you don't create a situation for yourself through study where you where you're anticipating, you know, now I see a lot of players that guess. There's a difference between anticipating and guessing. When I'm anticipating, I'm saying, okay, it's second down and six. They come out and split back. You know, this is what they like to do. Okay. So if I know that this is what they what they like to do, I'm reading my keys but I'm anticipating what they may do because that's the only way that I can give myself a split second jump start on, on a play that they're going to run where they know exactly where they're going and how they want to block it and how they want to execute it because I'm in a position where I have to read and react. So the best thing that I can do for myself is to gather all the information through the week, understand what their tendencies are, understand, you know, what they like to do with the, with, with, you know, with the quarterback, who the quarterback's favorite receivers are, who they like to go to in third and short, who they like to go to in third and medium, what plays they like to run out of certain formations um, in, in order to put myself in a position to be a major player on those plays that come my way. Um, it, 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 it's difficult, but when you, when you learn how to do the work and you learn how to prepare in that manner, it becomes easy. Because now everything just becomes reactionary rather than you waiting, trying to figure it out, trying to decipher it, and then reacting. It's too late then because they're moving at top speed, and it's too late for you to think and react. You've got to, you've got to study enough and know enough to just be able to, to react based upon the keys that you read. Seth, obviously we've talked a lot about the mental side of the game, and you being a student of the game, you watch you know, every level. I know you coach and you watch every level of the game right now. When you're looking at the linebacker position from a physical standpoint, is there a must-have in your mind that a guy must have this one talent in order to succeed at a high level at the linebacker spot? Well, I think, you know, football has changed so much over the last few years. Um, you know, when I played, you know, we played a defense that was, you know, gap-oriented. Everyone had a gap. And – if it required you coming downhill and having to take on an offensive lineman, you know, then so be it. You know, at 245, you know, I could take on, you know, the biggest lineman of my day, which was probably, you know, 290, 295 with proper technique and getting a jump on him based upon anticipation. I could, you know, take him on and physically, um, you know, do my job. You know, today's game is different because, you know, you've got very few offensive linemen. Um, that weigh less than 310, 315 pounds. Now you take a 315, 320 pound lineman against, you know, a 
235, 240-pound linebacker, that's a 60, 70, 80-pound disadvantage that he's at. You know, so you've seen um, defenses change. I mean, even um, even 40-front linemen, defensive linemen, you know, have had to get up in the 300 to, you know, 310 range just to be able to give you the stoutness up front. So what you see a lot now is you see a lot of 30 front with big defensive linemen. You see 40 front with huge defensive interior linemen, which, you know, eat up guards and centers and allow linebackers to run to the ball. That's why I think you've seen faster linebackers, converted safeties to to the linebacker position that are fast, that can shoot the gap, that can run to the football, um, that can get around blocks, you know, with speed and quickness. Um, but then you have, you know, a lot of those teams that run the 30 front, you know, where they got big guys up front and they've got those big in, two inside backers, you know, that are, that are thumpers, they come downhill, you know, take on linemen, take on fullbacks, you know, they can be very physical player. I think a lot of it depends on the system that you're trying to run. It all begins, in my opinion, with the defensive front. If you've got big guys up front and you've got big guys that can move up front, then that makes life a lot easier on the, on the linebackers. Um, if you don't, you know, then consequently the offensive line is probably going to dominate the line of scrimmage and it's going to make the linebackers' job that much more difficult, especially in the run game. How about from an athletic standpoint? And it's really interesting. You talk about you know the the ability to try and defeat those blocks. And you, if you're a 240 pound linebacker going up against a 315 pound offensive lineman, typically that that kind of mismatch, you're not going to win out physically, even when you do play with such great technique. When you watch now from an athletic standpoint and see all the different ways that some of these linebackers try to disengage and try and really just kind of stay clean, is it more from your sense? winning with your feet, or is it more important for a guy to know how to win with his hands, not necessarily to to jack up, to stack and shed an offensive lineman, but just to kind of wipe the hands and just stay clean from that perspective? Is it more feet or hands to to beat those blocks? What's more important? Well, I think it's both. I think you've got got to make the big guys move in space, and you've got to make them, you know, um, you've got to make them come get you. But I think when you're in a situation when you really have to man up and you've got a physical up, I think it's important that you use your hands. Um, it's important that you, when you take on blocks, that you punch with the hands and lock out because that creates space in order for you to do two things. It allows you, one of, first, to be able to see what's going on behind you. You know, I see a lot of guys come in and they take on a block and they don't get full extension with the arms, or they don't lock the arms out, well, now the offensive lineman is closer to me. So in the process of trying to figure out where the ball is, now I'm trying to peep around while the lineman's engaged on me, and he's close to me. Now he's grabbed me, and now he's running me down the field. He's, he's you know, pushing me away from where the ball actually is because I'm trying to find the ball and defeat the block at the same time. Now, if I take on the block with my hands and my with my hands and extend my arms, now I create enough space to be able to see where the ball is. And it allows me as I lock out to be able to shed him one way or the other and get off the block. Um, And and that's a technique thing, you know, that you have to work on, you know, with your linebackers, you're not going to come downhill in the old style and take on shoulder to shoulder offensive linemen today and get off blocks because the minute that you body up on them, they're just going to grab you. 
and if they grab you within the framework in, within the framework of the shoulders, it's legal for them to grab you now. And you're not getting away from a guy that's 315 pounds, and you're 235, 240. You're not getting away from him once he gets his hands on you. So it's important for you to come downhill and shock him with your hands, extend with the arms so you can see. Now, with your feet, now you can get off right or left if you have to wherever the ball is. Um, but if you don't use that kind of technique, those big guys have a tendency to swallow up, you know, the smaller linebackers. Seth, one of the, the traits that I admire most in, the, in linebacker prospects and really try and look for, honestly, is a guy to be able to find his way through traffic. And uh, you talked about playing downhill and trying to disengage from those blockers and trying to stay clean as a linebacker. But when you have those perimeter runs or if you have a screen play to the outside or really just any kind of play that takes you outside the hashes, outside the numbers, to be able to navigate, pick through the, the, the briar patch, if you will, and, and get through contact and find the ball. How hard is that? And you speaking from experience, how hard is that to be able to, to navigate through with all those bodies around you to find the football? Is it a, a second nature thing, or is that something that you can kind of improve on with more reps? Or what, what is that like as a linebacker? Well, I think it's definitely, definitely you know, a skill set that you, know, you either have or you don't have. Um, the way that you can improve on it is really understanding blocking schemes and how a team is trying to block you on a particular play and understanding who is supposed to block you. Um, everyone is assigned someone to block, okay? Um, whether it's a play away and you're a weak side linebacker um, and you can run through the backside with speed and run down a play from the back or whether, you know, you're coming over the top from weak to strong and there's a guy on the front side uh, whether you, you're trying to get across the space because the play is going outside or whether you can fake him out and come underneath because you think that play is defense well enough on the front side that you can run underneath the block and make the play. A lot of it is just understanding not only blocking schemes but where the rest of your guys fit and where the opportunities lay for you to take a chance and make a play or where you have to play the defense by the, by the you know to the letter. Um, and that comes with experience, that comes with study, that comes with understanding, um, again, how the offense is trying to offense you and defensively, where you fit in the scheme of your defense and where you're supposed to be and where, you know, there's a weakness in the offensive scheme and you can take a chance or where you got to play it, you know, to the level. All right, Seth, before we let you go, every single time I have a player or a former player on, I like to have them teach one specific area of their specific position. You've already done such a great job of doing that so far with linebacker play. But let's get into two technique. I want to have you t teach the fans what it means to execute a perfect tackle. Time to get inside the mind of a player. It's time for two technique. Seth, I feel like one aspect of the of linebacker play that and it's kind of an interesting st topic right now just because of the new rules and the way that teams have to practice now and it's almost a lost art and, and for some teams and for some players for sure is the art of tackling and what does a good tackle look like uh from uh, from the linebacker position what is a proper tackling technique look like well first let, let me say this um i get player safety and and i applaud the NFLPA for what they've been able to um, negotiate for the players to minimize uh, in practice and game time injury. You know, but football is a physical game. 
And the only way you get good at something, the only way you become proficient at something is by doing it. I think that not only the linebackers, but I think at every position on the defensive side that the art of tackling has pretty much, you know, disappeared. Um, I think, and it's, it's twofold. Um, the age of the big hit and just trying to blow someone up, you know, has minimized the art of tackling because a good running back, a good wide receiver with strong legs and great balance, you can try to hit them full force all you want. That's not going to knock them down. You've got to wrap guys up. The objective is to get them on the ground. You know, you're only going to get the kill shot when the, when the ball carrier can't see you. If he sees you, he's going to react to you. He's going to give you something to try to make you miss. So even if you got a bead on him and he sees you and you run for the kill shot and you don't wrap up, he's just going to bounce off and keep running. Um, so I think that, you know, the fact that tackling is not practiced as much as it used to be, you know, it, it, you look at, you know, the tackling, you know, it, it is it is suffered, you know, in our game because you can only get proficient at something if you practice doing it. If you don't practice doing it, you know, you don't become really efficient, really you know, an expert at it. You know, you get good by doing. You don't get good by watching or simulating something. You get good by doing. But I understand the rules and I understand why they're in place, you know, for player safety. Um, you know, I, I, I was studying um, lately. I was looking at a video on the Seattle Seahawks and what they've implemented is a rugby style of, of tackling. And they practice it. They practice the in-pads, they practice the out-of-pads, and they're one of the better tackling teams in the NFL. What they've tried to do, and if you look at rugby tackling, is they don't tackle with the head. They tackle with the shoulder. The, the thing that makes it so proficient and so efficient is the fact that they take their, they take their feet to the ball carrier. And I think this is important with linebackers, whether you're talking about um, implementing this rugby-style tackling or the traditional, um, you know, football-style tackling is I see a lot of guys, they don't take their feet all the way to the ball carrier. If I can get close enough to you to put my hands on you, then I can take the extra step to put my body on you. Now, if I put my body on you, now that gives me an opportunity to wrap you up rather than reaching for you at a distance and hoping that I grab something and missing a tackle. You've got to take your body to the ball tackler. And if I put my body on his body, now that allows – now I'm close enough to wrap my arms around him and tackle him. And listen, every linebacker, every player wants the big hit. But like I said before, you're not going to get the big hit if that ball carrier sees you with his eyes. Okay, he's going to fake you. He's going to move. He's going to do something. He's going to straight arm, stiff arm you. He's going to do something to try to make you miss. Those big hits only come when that when that ball carrier can't see you. Now, so so what's the objective? The objective is to make the tackle. I don't care if you get body to body and fall to your knees, you know, and you're just holding off a dear life and five other guys have got to come and help you tackle. The objective is to get him tackled, you know, and I think that's that's the big part of the the lost art of tackling. When you talk about you know the inefficiencies of linebackers, any other player on the defensive side of the ball, or special teams, their ability to make the tackle is that they either want to blow a guy up, or they get close enough to him where they can reach him. So they reach for him, their feet stop, 
their knees hit the ground and the guy runs right out of the tackle rather than taking your taking the extra step and going body to body and wrapping up, even if it doesn't mean that you make the big hit. Seth, the last question I have for you, and it goes back to something I learned very early on in my career, is that uh, tackling, you know, obviously you have the physical standpoint. You, you can have your eyes up. You can wrap up inside out. You can roll your hips through contact, bring your feet, everything you just said. But it also you have the mental side, and the, the want to. And tackling is about wanting to bring your man to the ground uh, and do the dirty work. How much do you weigh when you're looking at, let's say, transitioning college players to the NFL? How much do you weigh that mental, that competitive toughness aspect of tackling along with the physical side? Uh, is it almost a lost cause if the mental side is not there? Well, I mean, I like linebackers who have an aggressive nature about it. You know, I, I, football's an aggressive sport. It's aggressive on aggressive, whether you're speaking offensively, you know, um, attacking the defense, or whether you're talking about the defense attacking the offense. You know, so when I'm looking at a linebacker and evaluating a, a, a potential next-level next linebacker, you know, is he aggressive, okay? Is he a passive tackler? Or is he a tackler that that real, that understands that football is a game of um, of taking territory? The offense is trying to take territory in every single play to advance the ball down the field to score. A defense's job is to take territory in the opposite direction to run them out of downs and make them punt the ball and give it back, you know, to the to, to your offense or create a turnover. So it's a it's, it's a it's a territory battle. So when you're talking about tackling, okay, if I line up at five yards and I wait at five yards for the running back to get to me to make a tackle, well, I've just given up territory, okay? That's the concept of, of linebackers playing downhill. Once I decipher what the play is on a running play, I'm trying to go get him as soon as possible because if I can, if I can make plays on his side of the ball, now I've gained territory from my side of the ball. Um, that's the way the game is played. Now, linebackers have to be aggressive. They've got to be aggressive tacklers. Tacklers. And I believe, like you said, that um, tackling is nothing but want to. Okay? The running back has the ball. The wide receiver has the ball. They want to score, and you want to stop them from scoring, or you want to tackle them. Okay? Now it becomes a process of will. Is his will to not be tackled greater than your will to want to tackle him? That is the question. So when I look at linebackers whose will is greater than the running back's will, then that's the kind of player I want if he has all the other skill sets and all the other intelligence components that goes along with playing the position um, to warrant taking him or signing him. Um, if he doesn't, then I move on and look at look look for the next guy that possesses all of those skills. You know that that that's desired in a linebacker to be able to play the position at the highest level. Seth, really, really just great stuff. Thanks again for joining us here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. I think you did a great job of helping teach some of these fans uh, some of the intricate parts of playing the linebacker position. Really appreciate the time. Hey, my pleasure, man. Anytime.
Great stuff from Seth. And again, you could follow him on Twitter just like I do, at Seth Joyner. And while you're at it, I'm at FDuffy3. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that gets produced here at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And you know I greatly appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on social media. That's one way to support the show. And the other is to go into iTunes or Stitcher and give us a rating and leave us a comment or a question. It's something that we can talk about right here on the show. And one question I've gotten a lot in the last few hours has to do with Buddy Ryan and that 46 defense, that bare defensive front. What made it tick? How is it so effective? Well, I've had the opportunity to go back and watch a ton of film on the Eagles' defenses from that era, and I wanted to share some of those findings this week in Saturday Scouting. It's time for Saturday Scouting. All right, so like I said, this week in Saturday Scouting, we're going to treat it a little bit differently. Usually I go back and we look at one player on the Eagles team and see what he looked like coming out of school. But with this week's news and just with the structure of this week's show, I thought, you know what, let's look back at Buddy Ryan's defense in that 46 scheme. What was it that made it so effective? And whenever I've watched any of that tape, one word has always come to mind, and that is relentless. Buddy Ryan wanted to pressure the quarterback, and he loved sending extra defenders to make it happen. That was made easier, by the way, They lined up in that 46, or what is now very often called a bear front. Now, the name 46 goes back to his days in Chicago and that 85 Super Bowl team. They had a safety named Doug Plank. And in this front, they would roll the safety down as a weak side defender in the box. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But that defender for the Bears was Plank, and he was that strong safety. And since Buddy almost always referred to his players by their number instead of their name, it was 46. That was the number that Plank wore, hence the name of the front. So, just because of Doug Plank, that dominate uh, that dominating Chicago Bears defensive front became the 46 defense. Now, what the front looked like was this. Imagine in your mind a six-man defensive line. Now, whether that combination of six was five defensive linemen and one linebacker or four defensive linemen and two linebackers was irrelevant because of how the players lined up was what made this such a disruptive look. The key part of the whole operation was those three interior players. Now, in the 4-6, you had all three interior offensive linemen, so the center and both guards covered up. Now, what does covered up mean? Covered up means that they had a defender lined up directly across from them on the line of scrimmage. So often, I'd watch these defenses, and you'd see Reggie White, when they lined up in this 46 front, lined up as the nose tackle straight up as a zero technique right over the center. And then he had guys like Jerome Brown and Mike Pitts or Mike Golick lined up over the two guards almost as a pair of three techniques. And when you line up like this with a nose tackle and two three techniques, it's really, really disruptive for a couple of reasons. One, it really dictates the opponent how you're going to protect if you're going to throw the football. Much like we've talked about in the past with those double-A pressure looks, you know, those two linebackers up in the A-gaps over the center, this 46 front did the same exact thing. You just had bigger players along the line of scrimmage doing it, and there's only so many ways that you can block a six-man front when half of those players are lined up over the center and the two guards. And against the run, it was also incredibly disruptive because it really limited the effectiveness of your playbook. It's hard to pull offensive guards in a power run scheme or in a counter scheme when they're covered up, especially when they're covered up by an explosive player like a Jerome Brown in that gap because they're just going to fire up field and make a play in the backfield. Double teaming can become hard too because that just keeps other defenders free. That allowed players like Mike Singletary in Chicago or Seth Joyner here in Philly to run free and make plays from sideline to sideline or downhill 
in the backfield. So you have that three-man look on the inside. You have a weak side pass rusher. So think opposite the tight end. That would be Clyde Simmons here. That was Richard Dent in Chicago. And then on the strong side, you had two more players on, on the line of scrimmage there. And that was either a linebacker and another pass rusher or two linebackers. So you think of a player like Byron Evans and what he was here in Philadelphia. He would play that kind of role on the line of scrimmage there a lot of the time when I would go back and watch this tape. Now at the next level, you've got your middle linebacker and your safety. You think a joiner, someone like Andre Waters would roll down and be the strong safety. And then that role that Doug Plank played for Chicago, this made it an eight-man front. You had that six-man line, two players, a linebacker and a safety at the second level. And all eight of those players were in attack formation, ready to disrupt the run and the pass. And when you've got defenders that play with that ferocious, relentless style that Buddy wanted on defense, it really ratchets up the heat even more. Now, as time went on, offenses found ways to attack the scheme through the air, hence why you don't see it too often today. But you do still see some semblance of it. That look of three defensive linemen over the guards in the center is very common still. Whenever you see that, you can immediately call it out as a bare front. That's what a lot of teams call it now offensively. We'll say, okay, that's a bare front where the center and both guards are covered up, and it still serves the same purpose today that it did back then for Buddy Ryan. You want to disrupt and limit what the offense can do from a blocking standpoint pre-snap. This is a dictating front, and it all goes back to Buddy Ryan and the job he did in places like Houston and Chicago and here in Philadelphia with all of those great players that we just talked about. So thanks again to Seth Joyner for coming on the show and all of you out there listening, whether you're on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, Google Play, and, of course, on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app. Thank you, and if you get the time, again, rate the show, leave us a comment, let us know what you think, shoot us a question. I want to hear from everybody out there and keep all of you happy. So wherever you listen, just go shoot us a comment, and we can keep making this show better each and every week. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast from my producer, BT. I'm Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.